if you're not laughing and you're not having a good time, you're doing it wrong. We don't work softball. We play softball. The bottom line is just love it. Have fun. Life Mm -hmm. is too short to do it otherwise. Hello and welcome back to the Mental Sweet Spot podcast, where we share tips, stories, and strategies for coaching the mental game of softball. I'm Melanie Rushing, and I'll be joined shortly by Alicia Smith as we bring you another episode. Today's guest is a widely sought after speaker for corporations, schools, universities, organizations, and teams all over the country. Her master's degree is in sport and performance psychology. She's been on the TEDx stage as a speaker three different times. She runs a group coaching program called the Soul Tribe Evolution Project, has a radio show called The Possibility Project. She also published her first book called These Five Words Are Mine. In today's episode, we discuss empowerment, empowering herself to pursue this career path, empowering players to manage perfectionism and shift away from black and white thinking, empowering everyone to share their gifts with others, and empowering coaches to utilize the get 1% better philosophy, bring these concepts onto the field and protect their players' fragile confidence. Without further ado, please welcome the number one motivational speaker in the Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. regions, 2009 Female Business Leader of the Year and President of Jalen Consulting, Jen Kronberger. Welcome, Jen. Thanks for having me. So excited to have you here. So let's get going. I want to start from your beginning, uh, specific to what inspired you to pursue this career path, even if it didn't start out as this exact career path? That's, that's a big question (laughs) (laughs) only because, you know, as I was, I was thinking about, um, how I began and where this all came from, um, it goes way back and obviously being a competitive athlete myself, there were many, many times where I thought, you know, if I could just harness this mental side, if I could really understand what holds me back and understand what helps me to shine and how my confidence is, um, you know, lost and found, Mm. perhaps things could change for me. And, you know, as I look back, I think about even through injury playing, you know, bouncing back from injury and having those fears and all of the things that we carry after injury. uh, I've been through that. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of that, that I, that I questioned for myself, you know, if only I had someone to talk to who could have helped me harness the mental capacity that I had as a, as an athlete, that that toughness, you know, above the shoulders, Mm -hmm. I may have been in a, in a totally different place, um, in my career and just mentally. So I realized, you know, as I, as I started, I came out of the university of Delaware, I got my degree in English with a concentration in journalism. Um, I did all of that stuff and started to realize that I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. So I became a bartender <laughs> and <laughs> mom and dad were real proud. <laughs> they were like, oh yeah. Great. Thanks for the degree parents. <laughs> yeah. Good job on that. Um, but here's what they told me. They said, Jen, you can be and do anything you want. Just make sure you love it. And I thought, okay, fair enough. So I went into the corporate world. I spent four years in the corporate world and sitting behind a desk was not for me. Mm-hmm. So I had to figure it out. And I thought, you know what? Okay, they told me to love it. What is it that I'm passionate about? And for me, it was always sports. So I started running camps and clinics for young people. I started running softball camps. I did all, all sorts of speed and agility clinics. I, did all, I got trained in everything, certified, whatever I needed to do. And I started running these, these clinics and I had such a following that I ended up opening up a sports training facility. And I owned this facility. 
it was 20,000 square feet. I mean, it was a, it was Ooh. a big place. Yeah. And we trained athletes, um, you know, from, uh, I used to say I worked eight to faint and yes, uh, we, you know how that goes. <laughs> so we trained athletes, um, pri- primarily my biggest focus, obviously was softball. Cause that was my love. Um, but we had volleyball, we had basketball, we had baseball, we had, I mean, we had everything there. And what I started to recognize as I was training athletes physically is that there was so much more to that. And this, this theme kept coming up, you know, how do we harness these, these athletes and these, the, the power that they really have, and they don't even know they have. Mm-hmm. So that's when I um, got a bunch of different certifications. And then I actually went back to school. I got my master's in sports psychology. Um, and I was coaching at the time, I was actually coaching at the college level. And I spent one year at that point, then coaching at the pro level <clears throat> and brought the mental side to pro softball. Yes. Um, and started to recognize that it's all the same stuff from the seven-year-old who was in my camp last week to, you know, the pro player, former Olympian, whoever it is, it's all the same stuff. It's mm-hmm. everyday life. So for me, it was about, it was time to get that done. And it was time to take this out into the world and to add to the physical side of what we were teaching our athletes that, you know, it's a, it's a package approach. It's about being a whole person and the whole person includes the mental side. You know, we joke about how, how much of the game is, is between the ears. And I've yet to find someone tell me it's less than 50%. However, most mm-hmm. coaches and most players don't spend that amount of time on the mental game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I wanted to change that. So that's what oh, I started. Love it. You are definitely our people. Yeah. So tell me, what were some of the things then that you started teaching coaches and players to help them with both the mental and physical performance? So I started to see that most of the things that kept coming up. So I also worked with a sports psychologist from Florida. He and I spent some time together and started to dig into, we actually wrote a workbook together about instilling confidence in baseball and softball players. Mm. And one of the things that kept coming up for us was confidence. It was Mm -hmm. confidence and it was perfectionism. And those two things go hand in hand so often as competitive athletes, it's really hard. The more competitive you are, the more perfectionism you see. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I started to see this come up and I started to see these as big themes for most athletes. And I thought, okay, there's something to this. And if we could start to develop a program or develop uh, even a process for athletes to be able to not leave confidence to chance, because I think we do that a lot. You know, Mm -hmm. we hope that it's there when we need it. And we think that we can get it from other people. And the truth is we don't. Confidence comes from two main places, right? Past performance and preparation. And Mm -hmm. when I draw on those things and I control both of those. So my job is to help athletes figure out that the best mode to be in is to rely on yourself is to mm-hmm. be able to not wait for someone else to give you a pat on the back because you know what you, you might be waiting a long time and for no other reason than just some people don't give it out so you have to be able to find ways to develop it yourself and I think that's where a big focus for me is especially with young female athletes is teaching confidence it's understanding mm-hmm. where what that is and where it comes from and what the, the number one killer of confidence is and all of that stuff Um, because 
as women, we are so hard on ourselves. You know, <laughs> it's it's just it comes up over and over and over again. I was actually just came from I had a client session right before this with a, a young female athlete, which I don't even do a ton of that anymore. But uh, I do it when it comes up and it's important. And it's somebody who calls me and wants me to help them. This young athlete is phenomenal. And she looked me in the eyes just today. She said, if I could have more confidence, I know I could shine. Mm. And I just sat there listening to her and, and recognizing the fact that this is a conversation that I have with more young women than, than not. And I think, you know, it's because we, we struggle with that. So, you know, for me, that is probably the biggest thing. Oh, so true. And it keeps ringing true. Like I, I totally resonate. I yep. was the uber perfectionist in softball. Yep. The same thing through uh, grad school. Same sure. thing through now trying to be an entrepreneur, trying yep. coaching. <laughs> never Absolutely. goes away. It doesn't go away. Doesn't go away uh -uh. We can learn how mm. to, you know, manage that. And we can learn how to not make, uh, allow that to affect us in a negative way. Because mm -hmm. we can. Because that, that is a choice. Yes. That was, I think, the biggest aha for me was the adaptive versus maladaptive perfectionism. I thought it was just like this major flaw I'd have to deal with forever. Sure. Like, yep. I suck. I am a perfectionist. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but really, if you manage it, it can help right. in some ways. Absolutely. To go back to how you explained the, like, the basis and how you build that, what we call true confidence. It's based on past performance, how you prepared, but then it still seems to be fragile. And I hate calling confidence fragile, but it really yeah, is. It is. It is. So, you know, I think, I think the missing piece is what you said there, like that building that self-reliance. And to me, it's that belief that deep down, I can figure out a way to get back. I can figure yeah. out a way around it, around sure. this current puzzle, this current obstacle, and I can get back to that feeling confident based on what I've prepared and how I performed. Sure. Absolutely. I think that's, I think that's everything. And I think, you know, having the ability to rely on yourself and to be able to say, you know, with certain tools, I can do this with certain mm -hmm. tools. I have the power and it is up to me and it is my choice to be able mm -hmm. to do that. You know, and I think teaching that is, to me, that's that's the exciting part. It's being able mm -hmm. to watch a young athlete, you see the light bulb come on where it's like, wow, I am in control of this. This is under my control and I can do this differently. And that's powerful stuff. Oh, absolutely. Do you have a specific instance where you had that light bulb moment for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I think I've seen it so many times in my life. Um, but I'll tell you, when I, when I really shifted into more of a, a speaking platform for myself, um, traveling the country and speaking at different events, including teams, I, I do a lot of still, you know, coming into a team and speaking and um, talking to them, obviously, about the mental stuff. But even when I took this into the corporate world, um, being able to, to, to bring this to a group of individuals who may not be athletes. I have watched so many times where I thought, you know, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if this is going to land right. I don't know if they're going to be open to me talking about compassionate leadership and love in the workplace. <laughs> you know, I mean, this mm -hmm. is, I was talking about this 10 years ago before it was cool or sexy or anything to talk about. 
And <laughs> I literally had people say to me, uh, we don't want anything too touchy feely. And I remember <laughs> laughing, thinking like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you hired robots all of a sudden. Right. You know, it's a whole different world, right? Like what's happening? Like, where are we losing this humanity of, mm-hmm. of what it's like to, to show up and to be vulnerable? And I think this has everything to do with the young athlete as well. Mm-hmm. And so for myself, when I saw this really show up, I remember I was standing in this beautiful, huge room of this old building at the NIH, the National Institutes of Health. And they brought me in as their keynote speaker. And I thought, wow. I am here where they have come up with all of these incredible, um, you know, solutions and all of these cures for diseases and all of the things that they're studying and researching here. This is where this all happens. And I'm standing in this room speaking to these people. And I remember walking in thinking like, this is one of the larger, you know, clients that I've had. And it was a big deal. And I thought, you know, am I equipped? Am I good enough? And that question comes up so often in young athletes, am I good enough? And I remember standing there looking around saying, yes, I'm here. Mm. I'm here and I have a seat at the table. I'm in the room. I have a voice and it's my obligation to use it. And man, what a, what a moment to be able to look at, you know, this is, this is what I do and this is what I'm teaching. And yes, of course it comes up for me. I'm human too. Um, mm-hmm. But I love that because I can share those stories and those examples of saying, you know what, this happens. This this is real life, and we all have a choice every day in how we approach that. I love that. I think just knowing you have a choice is so empowering. It takes yeah. away so much of that fear. Absolutely, for sure. I love that you said that you actually have an obligation to. Yeah. to serve and to show up as your best self and to accept this honor. That's right. And I think, you know, it it all comes down to, and actually this is a conversation I just had with an athlete recently. I said, you know, when we limit ourselves, when we pull ourselves back, because we're so afraid sometimes to shine, we're so afraid to be good, especially young women. Mm. We're afraid to be good because for two reasons, one, you know, we don't want to make other people feel bad around us. Or, you know, mm-hmm. we don't want to be the one who's always the one who steps up and shines. It's always, oh, it's always her. She's always this. You know, you hear that. And unfortunately, that becomes a negative. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to to be that negative, right? We don't want to be the teammate who, you know, oh, well, of course she's doing extra. <laughs> With the eye, you know, <laughs> oh, coach loves so-and-so, you know. But but the, the, the flip side to that, too, is that I think there's a very real thing called fear of success. Mm. And we talk often about fear of failure, but I also think fear of success is very real because mm-hmm. once we get there, then we're expected to be there. And, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's ourselves or other people, once we get to that place of, you know, getting to the top of something, then all of a sudden it's like, uh, <laughs> now what? <laughs> You know, yeah, we're there. We made it. Great. Okay, now what? Because uh-huh. there's going to be more. And that's a scary thing. That can be a scary yeah. thing. So I think Absolutely. You know, that, that has a lot to do with that too. Mm-hmm. I think I never really realized the power of fear of success until recently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yeah, exactly. See? <laughs> so it's like, oh, God, like that's really is freaky. Like, yeah, yeah, it's weird. 
and then I think I the main I thing laugh. you said is expectations. That's exactly it. And we know what those are. I mean, expectations are actually that was that's what kept coming up when we studied confidence is that, you know, the number one killer of confidence kept coming back is expectations mm-hmm. because it's either black or white. You succeeded or you didn't. There's no gray area. Mm-hmm. It would be like, you know, you got a 99 out of 100 on a test and that's a failure. Like, I would not want to jump in and take that class. <laughs> no, thank you. Right. <laughs> but that's the truth, right? Because that's, uh-huh. that's a failure. We failed. We didn't get it 100% right. Then we didn't get it right at all. Mm-hmm. And that's what expectations do to us. And that's paralyzing. It's paralyzing mm. and it kills confidence from the, from the door. Absolutely. So what are some things that you've seen work with the corporations you've worked with or even the athletes that help shift away from that black and white expectation and more into the journey of exploration, fulfillment, like more of that mastery path. So I think the number one thing is understanding, obviously, the difference between um, expectations and, and maybe something like setting intentions. We, we change mm. the word. Because we all know what words do, right? I mean, we know what happens when we have that conversation with ourselves or with somebody else. Words are so incredibly powerful. And the mind-body connection is so that the inner chatter that we have is everything. And so sometimes just changing a word makes such a huge difference. Mm -hmm. So we change the word. We use that intention. I have an intention to blank. But the second half of that, I think, is that we focus on the process and not the outcome. If we are completely outcome driven, well, then <laughs> we have a lot of, of goals and intentions that we set that are not in our control. Mm-hmm. And we know what that does. It sets yeah. us up for failure every single time, because if we don't control it, well, then we can't really set that as a goal or an intention. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that goes back to the expectation thing. So uh, what I try to do is get away from that kind of thinking is, you know, the expectations that are set, A, getting away from that word, but also saying, you know, when there's a bar, then we shoot for that bar and then we we become complacent once we hit it. Mm. And, you know, there's a, there's a book I read a long time ago, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John C. Maxwell. And law number one is called the law of the lid. And the law of the lid states huh. you will never grow higher than your lid. So the lid could be, you know, your friends, your family, your teammates, your coach, your boss, your coworkers, your spouse, whatever. 90% of the time, though, the lid is you. Mm. Because you put this lid, you say, this is what I'm capable of. This is all I'm capable of. And then, you know, once we get there, we can't go past it because we don't believe we can because we set that expectation in that bar. Mm. So I tell people, get rid of the bar. You don't need it. And I actually proved that when I... I did a, a, a process with uh, the college team that I coached and we did, we called them Kaizen push-ups. And Kaizen is, you know, the ancient Japanese philosophy that talks about consistent improvement. It's doing one mm-hmm. extra thing every day. And so mm-hmm. we did push-ups in that way that year. And at the end of the, the time, every day they did one more. And at the end of the time, those girls did 67 push-ups. <laughs> and I remember, I remember asking them, you know, how many of you thought you could do 67 push-ups at once? And not one person said yes. And the truth is, we don't know how far we can go until we go there. Mm. So those limiting beliefs of saying, because if I would have told them, go do 25 push-ups and call it a night, how many would they have done? 
maybe mm-hmm. 25 if I'm lucky, right? Yeah. I got to 20, we'll count it. <laughs> right, exactly. But see, they became, all of a sudden, this, this became a pride thing for them. It was something that they mm. did because they became known as the team that got better every, every day. Mm. And that's all they focused on. And we ended up beating teams that on paper we had no business beating. But we did it simply because they focused on one thing and one thing only, and they focused on getting better every day. They showed up as their best selves, and every day they did one more. Mm -hmm. And it became a part of who they were. And that's huge. So I implement that with a lot of, whether it's it's athletes or CEOs of companies or, you know, the, the bottom tier, it doesn't matter. It's all about how we show up every day. And how we show up every day is, you know, if I want to show up as my best self, well, then you know, I need to actually do the things that are going to, to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Ugh, I love that. And I, I love the concept of Kaizen. I just think it, again, gives you that power back. And yep, like, that's it. you feel fulfilled after something so seemingly easy, yeah, quote unquote. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Ugh, sure. I love that. What are some other ideas for getting that one, people talk about 1% better, but I really like that you made it actionable with, and very visual with the pushups. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah. And very know, clear I, example. I tell you, that was really, really powerful for them because I think at the end when they realized, because I, you know, when I asked them about, you know, how many you thought you could do 67 pushups at once and they kind of laughed at me, I thought, you know what, what's really interesting about this is in the beginning, they were like, what are we doing? This is dumb. We're doing one push-up and going home? Stop it. <laughs> so, so, you know, they're like, coach has officially lost it. I mean, I heard that all the time. But as we went through this, they started to recognize the power that they owned. And mm. all they had to do was they just added one more every day. And it became like, yeah, this is us. This is who we are. Mm-hmm. They took ownership of it. And when you own it, you know what happens. It wasn't my idea anymore. It was who they were. Yeah. Which is so powerful. So, yeah, I mean, you can do that with anything. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. It's just a matter of saying every day I am going to do one extra thing. You know, mm-hmm. even even if it's meditation, every day I'm going to meditate for one extra minute. One extra second. I don't even care. Every day I'm mm-hmm. going to read for five minutes. Every day I'm going to, you know, whatever it is that I'm going to implement in my life to make myself better. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be the first person there at practice. I'm going to be the last one to leave. I'm going to be the one who says, I want one extra rep. Mm-hmm. Those are all choices. I mean, we can choose to just do enough and, and go home and that's the lid, right? Mm-hmm. Or we can say, no, you know what? I want to be the best possible player or the best possible teammate, whether it's at work or on the field or wherever it is. I mean, that's, this is, it's all the same. Ah. Oh. So good. (laughs) So what about from the coaching perspective, what are some ways we can help pull this out of our girls with everything from having that fun task to with your pitching, with your hitting? So a couple of things come up for me. I think just hearing that question, um, number one to me, the very first thing I just thought when you said as coaches, how can we pull this out? Listen, Mm. Listen, listen, (laughs) I think when we learn, when we get to know our athletes and we learn what they need to pull their best out, because we're, you know, 
they're not cookie cutter. Like these aren't all the same people. So everybody's a little different. The way that I learn and the way that I show up best is going to be completely different than you. Mm -hmm. And as a coach, I can't implement the same exact thing. You know, you see coaches have these big rah-rah speeches, you know, for some people that's scary and intimidating. Yep. And does not put them in the best place to be able to go perform at their, at their highest. Mm-hmm. For some people it's, you know, there's plenty of athletes. Actually, there were some professional athletes that I worked with who need to put on headphones, listen to Mozart and meditate mm. because that for them is what brings their best out. So as a coach, I need to know that I need to listen to my players. I need to understand what their needs are because if I can do that, And I know, you know, what is going to help them play to their potential? Is this a kid who needs a pat on the back or, you know, a hug? Like what, Mm -hmm. what is it when things are bad? Is this a kid that, that I need to be a little tougher with because that's what they need from me? Mm -hmm. So what I studied and what for me, I think is, was one of the best ways to learn this was I looked at the John Wooden model and I went back to how John Wooden coached. And there was a book that was written that actually I used to be an adjunct professor when I coached also. And I coached the philosophies um, and principles of coaching, as a matter of fact, ah. I taught. And one of the books we used in that class was called You Haven't Taught Until They Have Learned. <laughs> and that book yeah. was all about how John Wooden coached. And it talked a lot about understanding that in all coaching, in leadership positions, and, you know, even in families. We are teachers first. Mm. We are always teachers first. And so understanding that if we can listen and we can learn exactly how they need to learn, you know, some kids are kinesthetic. They need to feel it. Other kids are, you know, they're, they're visual learners. I need to walk them through the process mentally so that they can see it. Mm-hmm. or show them so they can see it and others are just you know audible they need to hear it they need to hear exactly what the directions are so understanding how they learn understanding how they listen mm-hmm. you know how they how they best communicate and understanding what their needs are emotionally and mentally because if i can if i can nail that stuff down then it's kind of like a, a freeway into the ability to pull this stuff out because I know I'm going to get the best from my players if I if I put them in the best possible position to be able to shine Mm -hmm. and I think it all starts there I have to learn that first yeah I hear you and I learned that after I was done coaching Mm -hmm. and I could kick myself because that was on my freaking resume like well, I want to help them be their best. Da, 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 da. And what did I do? Yep. Plan a bazillion drills without asking them what they needed. That's right. That's right. And you know, we've all done it. I mean, we mm-hmm. all say that. We have all done that. But I think, you know, and being able to talk. So one thing I did that I implemented while I coached, uh, which they loved, and I think it was really, really helpful, is we would do a drill. We would do whatever we were working on. And then we'd meet on the pitcher's mat. All I had to do was just kind of motion them. And they'd all come running into the pitcher's mat. And we would stand in a circle. And I would say, okay, give it to me. And they would, and this is how we always did it, is I did, we called it PCP, not the drug. (laughs) (laughs) But it stood for praise, critique, praise. Mm. And so what I would ask is what went well? And so somebody would jump in and give a praise. You know, I thought you did that really well or, you know, whatever it was. 
And then there would be the critique period where it was like, what, you know, what could we do better? What didn't we do there that, that we could have done better? And how do we learn? And so they, and this, none of this was me. None mm -hmm. of this came from me. This was all them. Mm -hmm. So then they would do the critique part and they would share with each other what they thought that they could do better or call each other out or whatever. And it was always, always in a, in a positive manner. There was no negativity around it. And then we would end on a praise because that's what you should end on. And, you know, so it was kind of like, Hey, I think we did this well, you know, we could have tightened this up a little bit if we did X, Y, and Z, but overall I think blah, blah, blah worked. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what it would sound like. Yeah. And when I gave them that voice and them that power to be able to do that, you know, that they owned it then. Mm -hmm. And then it was up to them to say, oh, okay. So we're hearing this and we're seeing now, obviously I would add some feedback when necessary, but I let them do that because you know what? Mm -hmm. They know, they know at that point, they know what, what they're doing, what they're not doing. And mm -hmm. so how are they communicating with each other? That was the whole point of that, which they didn't even realize in the beginning. But it was how can I teach them how to communicate with each other effectively and positively while still being able to offer critique and advice? Mm -hmm. What a lesson. Oh, and so when they huge. were able, able to do that, I'll tell you, that cut down on the finger pointing and the drama and the negativity and all the stuff. Yeah. On a team, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but what, because they learned how to do that mm -hmm. and they learned how to do it very quickly. Yeah. So that was powerful. Oh, that's so good. And I can say from personal experience, it's, I know you coach college, so did I, but mm -hmm. it works at all levels. Oh, absolutely. I did it. I did it with the kids at camp. I would yeah. have you know, eight-year-olds doing that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. We would do drills at camp and I would teach them to come in and let's all, we're going to say, you know, what, what worked, what just, you know, what, what did you see that was positive? Mm -hmm. What could we have done better? Mm -hmm. And then let's end with a positive. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was great. So yeah, it works at any level, including in the workplace. Yes. <laughs> also Which, in the workplace. Know, we can use a little bit more of that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. How many times do we complain about our players being clicky mm -hmm. and talking behind each other's backs as we're talking behind somebody else's back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny how that works, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> I love it. I want to open the floor to you. What would you like to see coaches do more of so that we can get that amazing confidence for our players? Um, you know, I think, I think what I would like to see and what I think would be really beneficial for our young athletes is, you know, being able to give them a voice more. Like mm -hmm. I just said, I really think that there was so many times where I saw they excelled so much quicker when they got to own it. And they excelled when it was their voice and their goals and their, you know, because what, what are we teaching them really? I mean, when we think about coaching softball or anything for that matter, that's just a platform, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, we're coaching them to be better players, but we're also coaching them to be better people and more effective human beings when they go out into the workplace and the real world and whatever they're going to do. And mm -hmm. I feel really strongly about that piece of it, that I think, you know, mm -hmm. we're setting these, these young people up to go out and be as effective and efficient and their best by using sports to do so. Mm -hmm. And so what can we give them before they go? And for me, it was always teaching them more of confidence and communication and, 
you know, staying positive. Like, it's a game. It's a game. When I see, you know, all the the craziness of the, the anger and the screaming coaches and all of that stuff. Look, I'm going to tell you, it's not that I never got passionate. Trust me, I did. They will tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, though, I think they also knew how much I cared. Mm-hmm. And they knew that for the most part, that wasn't the case. Like, I, I was not a yeller. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I got quiet, they knew there was something wrong. <laughs> Yeah, like, uh uh-oh. Yeah, yeah. They're like, uh, coach has nothing to say. This is not good. (laughs) But but the truth is, I think for me, what I wanted so badly was for them to be able to to find their own voices and, Mm -hmm. you know, to recognize the fact that there's a lot of things that they can do and that they have control over. And we used to call that CTC, control the controllables. You know, if I can control it, I will win it. We had a little mantra that we used to say, and it was, you know, we may be outplayed, but we will never be outworked. We will never be out hustled. We will never be outclassed and we will never be out conditioned. And why did we use those four? Because we controlled those. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that we controlled. And if we could control it, we can win that. Mm-hmm. And in the end, if the process takes care of itself, the outcome happens right Mm -hmm. so you know it's about focusing on the right uh, on the right thing so you know as these kids go out there and they go from playing softball in middle school or high school or college or at the pro level I don't care where they are when they leave there and they move on to other things Mm -hmm. it's the same fundamental stuff what is it that you want them to know Mm -hmm. and I think that's as a coach that's the focus yeah. Focuses on, you know, how do we create these human beings who are going to have a full and effective and efficient life and happy? Mm-hmm. The bottom line is if you're not laughing and you're not having a good time, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Oh. You just are. Yes. I mean, this is a game. We don't work softball, we play softball. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, let's remember that, that these are these are young people. And let's remember that this also should be fun. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that coaching philosophy, we will call it <laughs> style, it if we will. We'll call it a coaching philosophy, a philosophy um, gotcha. <laughs> to put it nicely. Um, I think it comes from the, the idea of like, we got to teach you how to deal with the real world. And then, but what you're really teaching them is how to follow orders yeah. and how to follow yeah. someone else's That's agenda. Right. Yep. Yep. When, how about? you empower them to lead in their own way. Yeah. And that's what a beautiful gift, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's the gift. The gift is, as you and I both know, you know, I'm someone who walked away. I, I joke. I say I retired from corporate America when I was 26. I've never looked back. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm going on 20 years of this. Shh, don't tell anyone my age. <laughs> don't, don't do yeah. that. 24 so, plus yeah. a couple. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like when I when I look at that and say, you know, I jumped off the cliff and hoped I could fly, it's pretty much what happened. Mm-hmm. And But if I wasn't given that, that, you know, at a young age from coaches and teachers and parents reminding me that, you know, you can be anything you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. Just love it. Love it. Mm-hmm. That was the, that was the message. So so what message are we giving these kids as they're, as they're going out? trying to find, you know, who they are and what they are. 
And I think that's it. I think the bottom line is just love it. Have fun. Life mm-hmm. is too short to do it otherwise. Yeah. And I think the other piece that almost the gift you were given by your mentors and family and everyone else around you was again, back to what you're talking about with confidence was that belief in yourself and the autonomy to know that I can figure it out somehow. That's it. That's exactly right. Because, you know, if, as long as you're focusing on the right stuff, um, there's a quote actually that, that this reminds me of, it was a Ray Bradbury quote. It says, I know you've heard it a thousand times before, but it's true. Hard work pays off. If you want to be good, you have to practice, practice, and practice. If you don't love something, then don't do it. Mm. And I think that's what it comes down to is, you know, if these kids are playing because someone else wants them to play or, you know, if your your players are not loving it, then reevaluate, mm-hmm. you know, either what you're doing or what they're doing. Oh, yeah. This is so good. I, I feel like mic drop right there. I love it. I love Can it. you leave our listeners with whatever other gems you would like to share to make sure this hits home? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, I think going back to just the, the confidence piece, um, it is fragile. It is fragile. And we have a responsibility too, as coaches to remember that, you know, when we are really, you know, struggling because we're disappointed or we have expectations that weren't met or, you know, all of these things, when we're really struggling as a coach because, you know, the kid made a mistake or the player, you know, dropped the ball and cost the run and the game's over. And, you know, all of the things that we deal with our own disappointments, mm-hmm. we also have to remember that they know when they make a mistake, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they know, they know, they know exactly what they did. Even young yeah. players, they know. Mm-hmm. And, and of course they're beating themselves up for it. So we probably don't need to lay into them to beat themselves, to, to beat them up more. That mm-hmm. confidence really is that fragile. And some that I have watched some players lose it and really struggle to get it back mm-hmm. based on one instance, mm-hmm. one time. That's all it takes sometimes. So I think continuing to cultivate, you know, a, a place where they feel safe and they feel, I'm not saying, you know, <laughs> by no means am I saying coddle your player because that I don't go for either. So, no, it's not what we're saying. I hate people no, go there like, oh, so I got to pat them on the back when they fail. No, that's not no, it. No, no. But we also don't need to berate them and mm-hmm. embarrass them in front of people and, you know, do all the things that sometimes I see. I see it. I mm-hmm. see it. Out there. I see coaches just, you know, lose it. And it happens. Look, we're all human. But I think if we have an obligation, it's an obligation to create a place for these these young athletes to be able to recognize the fact that you know what if I mess up and if I fail they will love me anyway Mm -hmm. and they being coaches and parents and players and teammates and whomever but I think that you know so often we're so afraid to fail and so what do I hear is I hear parents and coaches come to me and say hey how do I motivate somebody how do I get them (laughs) to you know, it doesn't seem, it just seems mm-hmm. like they're not motivated. They don't have drive. Like if they would only put their mind to it. I mean, how many times have you heard that, right? Yes. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Seriously? Mm-hmm. Well, then what that is, is A, either they don't want to play and let's mm-hmm. ask them, right? Or mm-hmm. B, they are so afraid to fail that they don't do anything. Yeah. 
you know, they get, they become paralyzed because they don't yeah. want to make a mistake because mm-hmm. what do you get? I always hear when I ask why, what, what happens, you know, if you fail, what are you worried about? And every single time, the same answer is I don't want to let anyone down. Mm-hmm. They don't want to let you down. So, mm-hmm. and then they list the people, right? So I say, okay, who, <laughs> who don't you want to let down? And here, this is the exact order that I always get teammates, coaches, parents. Yep. And I say, I hear, I see that someone's missing off that list. Oh yeah. Myself. (laughs) Why is that always last? Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a problem there that we need to fix. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, focusing on those kinds of things, recognizing that you're going to get so much more out of your players. If you focus on the right stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not even about lighting the fire underneath them or giving them a kick in the butt. It's be the glue that pulls their confidence back together when they need it. That's exactly right. You know, there's something to be said about, I've studied over the last probably two years now, I've been studying really hardcore compassionate leadership Mm. and I've been studying empathy. I've been studying all of this stuff. I actually just finished a certification at the Harvard business school with talking about, um, sustainable business strategy. And we talked not just about, you know, the environments and things like that. We talked about people, people are our greatest mm-hmm. asset, whether it's a team, a sports team, or, you know, a, a team in a, in an office, that's the same thing. It's talking about compassionate leadership is all the rage right now, because we're recognizing the fact that we're leaving that part out sometimes. Mm-hmm. And if we can go back to understanding what we are as human beings and what makes us tick, I did a survey and I asked, you know, what would it take for you to feel more engaged? And what does that look like for you? Whether it's on a team or in the workplace. And I kept getting things back that had to do with respect. Mm. And I want to feel heard. I want to feel like my opinion matters, like all of these things. Not one time did it have to do with, especially in the workplace, obviously, it didn't have to do with money. Mm -hmm. It's all about how we want to feel. It's yeah. about what makes us feel good, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's the same, it's the same thing I asked about players. I said, why do you play? And it wasn't about winning. It was about, I play because I love it. I play because mm-hmm. I'm with my friends. I play because I like the competition. I play, it's all of those things that has nothing to do with winning. So, you know, exactly. we have to focus on the right stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's what it comes down to. Is we just have to learn what that is. How do we, how do we move people? You know, and it comes back to all of the things we just talked about. Yeah. Well, thank you so yeah, much for all so of this. For, thank you. We're for going to bring you back because I would love I wrote, like five other topics I want to talk about. <laughs> awesome. I love that. I love <laughs> it. One of my favorite things is just to, to talk about things like this because I obviously am passionate about it. And uh, mm-hmm. I know you are too. So mm-hmm. this, is a, this is a good place to be. Yes. Totally agree. And I think it's the talking about it leads to, okay, now what can we actually do about it every day? So it becomes a yeah. part of That's just right. who we are and how we work with people. That's right. Oh. I love it. Yeah. This is a, it's a pleasure for me to be here with you and I love the work that you guys are doing. So thanks for including me. Thank you. It was an honor to have you on here. Really. Awesome. And that is a wrap on today's episode to follow Jen and her antics. You can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Jen Kronberger, J-E-N-C-R-O-N-E 
B-E-R-G-E-R. To further implement these lessons that Jen shared with us today, we challenge you to use the praise critique praise method. Most coaches have heard of the sandwich method of giving a positive, then a negative, and then a positive again. But Jen teaches us a more productive version of that method. Bonus, it also teaches players how to communicate with each other. Once they figure that out, you'll have 10 plus more voices helping drive the team forward. To make it more productive, Jen suggests you do three things. First, you have to give your players a voice in the feedback first. What's more empowering than that? Second, help keep the focus on controllable, changeable critiques. Third, always begin and end with what you're doing well so you make sure the positive things stick in their minds. If you do these three things after each practice and game, you'll see your team grow at least 1% every day. If you want more resources and support for empowering your athletes to truly love the game, we'd love for you to consider our Dream Team programs. They're designed specifically for coaches to help you get the most out of your players using a system they'll love to grow leaps and bounds from. For more info on our services, reach out on social media or head to mentalsweetspot.com forward slash dream team. That is it for today. Thank you for joining us. See you again next week.